Welcome this morning. We are so grateful for every one of you for logging in uh, to the various platforms and joining us here with our virtual service on this Sunday, December 20th. We're in the middle of a series. Actually, we're wrapping it up today. Our Advent series is called When It's Not a Wonderful Life, a takeoff on the George Bailey film that you're all familiar with. George is running his family's savings and loan and his uncle Billy loses some money for a deposit and he's basically in a serious crunch, can't make up the $8,000, bank auditors are on the way, Mr. Potter who basically owns the town is going to press charges because he's on the board and I'm sure you've seen the, the story, it's a great Christmas classic. He's rescued by the angel Clarence who basically shows him what life would have been like had George not been born. And in that moment, he cried out and said, oh, let, let it be so, let me, let, let me be born. I want to enjoy my family. And sure enough, he comes back, and, and uh, the, the story is a glorious one of restoration, and the town pours out their love for George. You should watch it. It's a great family classic at Christmas time. But I, I use this movie title with what we're dealing with right now in this Advent season as we prepare for uh, what we refer to as Christmas, which has obviously become extremely commercialized in our culture. Advent is uh, really kind of the alternative to that, which prepares us for the second coming of Christ. It helps us to look at what happened in his first coming as a babe in the manger of Bethlehem and then reminds us that he is coming again. And so as we celebrate Advent, and this is the fourth Sunday, our, our, our typical themes in Advent are hope, love, joy, and peace. And so this morning, we'll be dealing with the, the subject of peace. We, we, we have been talking about just the confusing, uncertain, unprecedented times that we're living in right now with a pandemic, with protests and cries for social justice from various areas, uh, politics that is just off the map these days with craziness that is absolutely, there is no historical precedent for what we're seeing happen uh, right now. <clears throat> and uh, of course, come January, we know that a, a president will be inaugurated. The Electoral College just basically confirmed that President-elect Joseph Biden would be our next president. And uh, that's just occurred this week. And so we're uh, looking into the future to see that take place. The vaccinations are going out. Vaccines have been now approved by Pfizer and uh, Moderna, and so we're excited just to, to think about the possibility that over the next three months, within the first quarter, we can start to see something very significantly changing, and certainly by summer, uh, a movement back toward a sense of normalcy. And I don't know about you, but I'm certainly ready for that. I long for that. Today, as we look at this message, just a quick reminder, we talked about finding hope in pandemics, protests, and politics. We talked about walking in love. Last week, we talked uh, about choosing joy that is the product of walking in love, and it's always available as a choice to every believer. And then finally, this morning, we're going to be talking about making peace, making peace. We found hope. We're walking in love. We're choosing joy. But today, we want to talk about making peace, and I believe this is probably the most critical message in this series, especially in this time that we're living in when some would, would say that it's not a wonderful life. It's certainly been one of the most difficult seasons that I've been through 
in my life. I'm sitting here speaking to an empty room with five or six faithful media uh, team people, and I'm so grateful for them and, and taking the time during the week to come out here and help me be able to record this and provide it for you on Sunday morning. I long for the days when we can be back in here together and pack the room and lift our hands in worship and sing and not worry about droplets of some kind of virus being in the air. And so those days are coming. We will make it through this. Uh, I'm excited to say that I believe 2021 is going to see a big turn for us in a lot of ways. This morning, as we look to this, making peace in pandemics, protests, and politics, I'm using a text out of the Old Testament prophet Isaiah. Uh, this is probably one of the grandest prophecies about the coming Messiah. There are over 300 of them in the Old Testament. There are 30 major ones, and out of the 30 major ones, there are three that would be, and we could describe in terms of grand, and this is one that is found in the book of Isaiah. Another one would be in Daniel chapter 9, but Isaiah chapter 9 says it this way, for a child is born to us, a son is given to us, the government will rest on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. That last name, Prince of Peace, is significant this morning in this message. Verse 7 says it this way, His government and its peace will never end. The King James says, Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. The writer of the Gospel of Luke picked it up and said this way, of the increase of his kingdom, there shall be no end. And so Old and New Testaments are saying amen to each other and are bearing witness to one another that this is talking about this Yeshua HaMashiach. This is Jesus the Messiah, the, the child who is born in Bethlehem, the son who is given, and on his shoulders will rest the government or the kingdom of God. All right? I use a tool here at Victory when I teach or speak or preach, and that tool is, is I refer to as one thing. One thing is basically a summary of all that I'm going to be saying to you this morning through various points and illustrations, an outline that I've prepared. But this one sentence sums it all up, and if you don't get anything else, I want you to grab this because this is critical. The one thing for today's message is that peace is far more than the absence of conflict it is the presence of wholeness. Wholeness. We think of whole numbers, not fractions or portions, but wholeness. The word, the Old Testament word is the word shalom. And so this morning, as we look at this, I want to just say to you, my blessing to you is shalom. Hebrews for thousands of years have used this as a greeting, as a departure, as a covenantal blessing. Literally, it's saying, hello, be blessed. It's saying, goodbye, we'll meet again, be blessed. But the concept shalom, it's also used in one of the compound covenantal names of God, which is Yahweh shalom. Our English transliteration is Jehovah, which is the same thing as Yahweh. Jehovah shalom, which means the Lord is our peace. And so this morning as we look at this, I'm saying to you shalom. I wish you wholeness. I wish you peace and power, strength and plenty, abundance, the blessings of God operating in your life. That's literally what the word shalom means. Uh, 
Peace is not, as we said, the absence of conflict, but it is the presence of wholeness. Too often, sometimes in marriages that are having challenges, uh, when they just remove conflict, they feel like they have peace. But peace is not just the absence of the negative tension. Uh, we, we refer to that governmentally. There's a French word, détente, which is basically just organized tension. Some people live in marriages like that. I can't imagine living like that because I don't just want to have the absence of something negative in the way of tension, but I want to have the, the, the overwhelming influence of blessing, of power, of the shalom, the wholeness, a relationship that's not broken. This really is the Old Testament concept of salvation. And before I get too far into that this morning, I'd like to take a moment and pray. So let's bow our hearts together for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to come on this Sunday morning and declare your word and share good news, not just religious advice on what we ought or should do, but news that states something that has already occurred. A baby was born 2,000 years ago. A man died on the cross after living a perfect and sinless life. Three days later, he rose out of the grave. Forty days later, he ascended to the right hand of the Father. Thank you, Lord, that you poured out the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, ten days after that, and disciples were empowered and sent and the nations were changed and the world was upside, turned upside down because of some men who had been with Jesus. We ask you this morning that you would move by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would penetrate, Lord, the, the challenging obstacles in our lives and give us hope in the middle of the pandemic we're facing. Lord, in seasons when there is still inequity and inequality, racism and prejudice and, and social and economic injustice, God, in the middle of these ridiculous days of, of politics that absolutely defy logic and reason, God, we, we choose to, to be a reasonable people, to not uh, be hot-headed in the middle of all of these circumstances. Let the church be peacemakers. We ask you to, for that today. Show us what that means. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. And everybody said, amen. Shalom. So we say to you, peace, prosperity, power, blessing, abundance, the favor of God. All of that is wrapped up and tied up in this concept of God's wholeness. When we think of salvation too often in the last 150 years in America, especially in what I call Southern churchianity, we have, we've, we've, we've given a reductionist. And when I say we, I don't mean me because I'm here to try to bring an enlargement to what the gospel is all about. Uh, too often heaven has been reduced to, or salvation I mean, I'm sorry, salvation has been reduced to a home in heaven. It's basically Jesus shed his blood in order to remove the wrath of an angry God from us and to give us a mansion on a golden street. And I've, I want you to know that I believe that heaven is real. I believe that it is beyond description. But I believe that too often we rely on images that have been given to us that were written in gospel songs during the time of the Great Depression that came from a bad interpretation of John 14. In my Father's house are many mansions. He prepares a place for us. Literally, we are the house of the Father. We are the mansions that God is building. We are the temple filled with His Holy Spirit. He, he wants to come and dwell in man. As a matter of fact, in the close of the book of Revelation, it says, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. 
That's the whole idea around this, this celebration of, of Christmas and the incarnation is that God came down and dwelled with men as man. Now, no ordinary man because he was a God-man. But he identified with everything we suffer with, with everything we're tempted with, in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin, the Bible says. So we look back to the Old Testament to some of these incredible prophecies about a Savior, a Messiah that was coming. The town in which you would be born is prophesied. The time of the year, the season, the things that would be going on, the, the empires that would rule. So many details when you look over the whole panorama of all of the Old Testament and you see that different prophets, different poets gave us a piece and a snapshot here and a picture there, a, a prophetic symbol here. And we start to put all that together and we see that this whole book is about one person, one character, one central uh, actor on the, 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 the stage of the cosmos. And it's this God-man, Jesus. When we look at this beautiful passage in Isaiah, it says that his government will rest on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. When we talk about the government of God, we're literally referring to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Let me say something to you. To the degree that Jesus is Lord over your life and all of its various areas, you will experience a direct correlation of the peace and the blessings of God. To the degree that you can say Jesus is Lord over your relationships, over your family, over your parenting, over your children, over, over your husband, your wife, over your business, over your home, over your finances, over your health, to the, to the degree that you can say Jesus is Lord of my life. And what that means is he's calling the shots I'm not just living willy-nilly, but I recognize that I'm not my own. I've been bought with a price. And when I realize that and I live according to that and His government, His Lordship is in my life, peace automatically flows. It is a direct product. Where He governs, His peace is experienced. Where Jesus is Lord, the peace of God is one of the blessings that we enjoy. So to the degree that he is Lord in my life, I will experience the blessings of his shalom, his peace. Look at this. The Old Testament gives us a proclamation in another location. Isaiah 52 verse 7 says, How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of the messenger. Notice it's singular. The feet of the messenger who brings good news. Everybody say gospel. Anytime you see the gospel, the word gospel, it is the the Bible word for good news. Old Testament Isaiah is talking about the gospel who brings good news. And notice he says it again. The good news of peace, shalom. The good news of peace and salvation. The news that the God of Israel reigns. King James says, proclaiming peace, announcing news of happiness that our God reigns. I love that. Again, that's a picture of the government of God because God is reigning. That's his governmental influence. And where he governs, his peace follows. Now notice that it says the messenger, singular. This is a beautiful Old Testament prophecy about this anointed one, this one who would come with words of life in his mouth. Jesus says, I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. 
the, the sages, the, the Sadducees, the Pharisees literally spoke of Jesus and said, you're not like all the other teachers because you speak as one having authority. Jesus said in John 6, 63, the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. When God speaks a word and breathes into you, inspiration and courage comes and your heart is filled and faith grows and, 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 and I like to say when, when, I, when faith is high, I'm ready to take on hell with a water pistol. Some of you know exactly what I mean, but when, when you hear a word from the Lord, when, when something jumps off the page of your Bible or you, you hear a word in a message that a, that a pastor or a preacher or a teacher is giving or in your prayer time you just hear the still small voice of the Holy Spirit inside just down here in your gut and, and, and faith rises, strength comes because the words that he speaks, they are spirit and they are life. There's resurrection power in the words of this messenger. King James says it this way, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him, singular, who brings good news. But it doesn't stop there because as long as he's a prophecy, we don't see the fulfillment of it. But in the New Testament, my second point this morning is that the New Testament gives us a realization of what the Old Testament gave us, a proclamation. The Old Testament pointed forward. The New Testament said, okay, it is now. As a matter of fact, when you look to the Old Covenant over and over and over and over again for thousands of years, all these books of the Bible, they're all saying the seed is coming, the seed is coming, the seed is coming, Messiah is coming. And they were longing for him. But in the Gospels, the opening of the New Testament, we see that the seed is here. He's shown up. Oh my gosh, it's actually happened. And what is so beautiful about this is they take this concept of the good news of peace they, they meaning the angels of heaven. Look at Luke chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. Two verses. The Bible says, Suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, This is the angel of the Lord that made the announcement to the shepherds who were watching their flocks by night. It says, the armies of heaven praising God and saying, Here it, go, here it comes. Glory to God in highest heaven. And peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. God gets the glory. Earth gets the peace. How many of you know that's what we need? You know, it's a joke with every beauty pageant where they ask, you know, one of the contestants, you know, what is, what is the desire of her heart? And they all say world peace. And it's just kind of become like a, a bad joke. But you know, if we're really honest, that's something that we're all crying out for. We're desperate for the end of terrorism, the end of war, the end of strife, racism, physical abuse, abuse of all kinds, lying, cheating, stealing, folk doing other people wrong. To see that we would see the Spirit of God poured out upon uh, the, the people of the world and that people would actually live according to the golden rule, that we would do unto others as we would have them do unto us. In this amazing season that we're living, we we see that God comes and visits a 15-year-old virgin. Just someone that's obscure, that, that nobody expects to be a, a, a leader that would change the world. But a young girl that had the favor of God on her life is visited by an angel that says, the holy thing which shall be born of thee will be called the Son of God. Her, her statement was, how can this be seeing I know not a man? I've never been with a man. I've never experienced a sexual relationship with a man. 
And the angel basically said, that's exactly the issue because it's going to be the Holy Spirit that comes upon you. I, I, I got tickled this week as I heard a lady say, you know, I have no problem believing the claim of the scripture that a virgin could conceive. The thing that I struggle with is that you can get three wise men together in the same place. Okay, I'm not throwing off on my brothers. I just thought it was funny when the lady shared that. Um, you know, there are a lot of things in this whole legend that's kind of become a myth. And I believe in the virgin birth. I believe in the Bethlehem story. But I, there's a lot of stuff that's been added to it over the years that's really not part of the biblical record. I don't want to offend you, but folk, there, was no, there was no drummer boy who played Parampa Pum Pum. As a matter of fact, there were no we three kings of Orianar. We don't even know how many there were. The scripture just says magi or wise men from the east. And there are multitudes of things that, you know, we could really begin to question because of just what happens over a period of time, generation after generation, and we put our manger scenes together and we sing Christmas carols, and our views about this become more established by a cultural thing than it really does by the Word of God. And I think it's important that we at least go back and say, okay, what does it say here? And, and, and I want you to recognize one takeaway from this is that in an, in an obscure place where nobody expected anything great to come out of, in a difficult place, in a hard place, in a place where there was no room in the inn, in a place where a baby had to be born and laid into a manger, French word mange, to eat. A manger is a is a, is a, a food trough where cows or horses or donkey or sheep feed out of. It's just where the, the common food of the, the work animals is placed, and so the, the animals eat out of that thing. And so the king of the universe, the creator of the cosmos, would be laid into a rough-hewn food trough. What I want to say to you this, this, this morning is this, is that miracles happen in some of the most obscure, difficult places. And if you're in a place of hiddenness where you're wondering if your day's ever going to come, if your opportunity will ever dawn, if a door will ever open for you, if you're in a hard season where you're struggling, I want you to know that you are ripe for a miracle to happen in your life. But you need to put your trust in God and lean into Him and not in your own ability or your natural strength. Do what Mary did and say, be it unto me according to your word. It's amazing how miracles can take place in hard places, in difficult situations. The New Testament realization is that this baby grew up and he brought peace. He, he, he stood on the side of a hill one day and he said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. God has called us to be a people who make peace, and we can't make peace and bring peace to the world if we're not at peace ourselves. Sometimes being a peacemaker means we have to be willing to, for a season, take up arms. And I'm not talking about literal guns and militia, but I mean, you, 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 there's a difference in being a peacemaker and a peacekeeper. Peacekeepers just basically bend over, become doormats, and are willing to let people do whatever they need to do in order to just keep peace. Peacemakers are willing to sit down and have the hard conversations and go, listen, I love you, but we can't keep living this way. 
This marriage can't go on the way we've been operating. You know what? We can't be neighbors unless we work out this disagreement that has come between us. Let's sit down and tell me how you feel. I'm going to tell you what I think and how I feel. Let me hear you. Let's talk. And let's arrive at a place of peace, a place of wholeness, a place of shalom, a place of blessing. I, I believe that the problem we're seeing happening right now in the nation and the, the, the vast division that we see is because we have so many angry Christians that have been stirred up by their, their favorite cable television network, whether it's on the liberal side or on the conservative side, staying angry all the time and demonizing the other side. God help us that we would actually have some people that are adults that would stand up on both sides of the aisle of Congress and actually sit down at the table where we can work out something for the betterment of our nation. We need that, and Christians need to represent that. This is not the time to get on social media and make outlandish, outrageous claims and, and, and hurl gossip and all kinds of nonsense and foolishness, and I've seen people on both sides politically do that. God help us. We need to be peacemakers. Now, let me just say this. In order to make peace, I have to have two things, love and truth. And I'm going to tell you sometimes where the evangelical church has blown it. We've majored on the truth and haven't had a whole lot of love. And when you have truth only and no love, it's, it's legalism. It's, it's hard. It's, it's religious requirement. And it's condemnation. It's judgmentalism. It's talking down to somebody. When you have all love and no truth, it's license and anything goes. And you just, you, you, you speak your truth and, and, and I will speak my truth. And, and somewhere in the middle, we'll just all let it be. You know, we will live and let live. <laughs> and there is no truth in that because that's called relativism. But let me just say this. If we're going to sit down with anybody and work out a problem, we're going to have to have two things, love and we're going to have to have truth. But let me just ask you this. You need to knock on the door with love. You need to walk into the living room with love. You need to, that needs to be your calling card. It needs to be the first thing. The spirit of love is the way, it's the tone of voice, it's the way you sit down to have the conversation. And then you are invited from the living room into the kitchen where you have an intimate conversation and you start to share truth, still keeping it in love. And if we do one without the other, we will not make peace. We might keep some peace, but somebody's going to end up being a doormat. Nobody's going to be happy. God has called us to be peacemakers where we stand between two warring sides. Jesus literally did that. Ephesians 2 says he hung on the cross and he himself became. He made peace for us. Jesus is our peace. He is the prince of peace. Lastly this morning, I want you to see the church's missional extension. So we saw the Old Testament proclamation. We saw the New Testament realization all about this fact that peace is far more than the absence of conflict. It is the presence of wholeness. I want to say that again. Peace is far more than the absence of conflict. It is the presence of wholeness. And we have to be whole ourselves if we're going to be healers of others to bring wholeness to them. Jesus wants to come in and heal the broken parts of all of the aspects of our lives. Let him be Lord over every area, and to the degree that he is Lord, you will experience his peace. Of the increase of his government and its peace, there shall be no end. The church's missional extension, look at this, I think this is so cool. 
in Romans chapter 10, the Apostle Paul grabs this very concept and this Old Testament prophecy about the Messiah, the messenger, the one who has beautiful feet on the mountains. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him, singular, who brings good news. But now look at what Paul says. In Romans chapter 10, verses 15, he says this, How will anyone go and tell them without being sent? That's why the scriptures say, How beautiful are the feet of messengers who bring good news. Okay, big deal. Uh, what, what, are you, what is your point here, Pastor? Do you remember in Isaiah 52 where it says, The feet of, messen- of the messenger, singular? King James says, The feet of him. In the King James in Romans chapter 10, it says, how beautiful are the feet of them. I love this. The Old Testament with prophet was pointing to the, the main messenger, Jesus, who would come. But in the New Testament, now that he's lived and died for us and poured out his spirit upon us, and by his blood we have become part of his family, the him has become them. The messenger has become messengers, plural. How beautiful are the feet of messengers who bring good news, the gospel. Just want to ask you this as I close this message this morning. Your life, when people see you at work, in the neighborhood, at the school, your children's ball games, your local social clubs, how you serve in the community. You know, people watch, especially if you claim to be a Christian. What is your message? What's your life message? What are you portraying? What's what's the look on your face? What's the tone of your voice? Sometimes we're hard on truth and we're not strong enough on love. Or sometimes we're just ooey-gooey with love and acceptance and there is no truth. And folks, it takes both. Which is so much of my message all the time. It's always about bringing two what looks to be like polarized ideas and grabbing hold of both of them and bringing them together. It's amazing how many things in Scripture are are expanded by that awareness. God governs and He brings peace. I love that. When we speak truth, we do it in love. And when we bring the two of them together, transformation can take place. I love this. God wants to bring peace to your life and to mine. And I want you to see this as I close this message this morning. Romans chapter 5 says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice it said, peace with God. And I believe that's what happens when you turn your heart to Jesus. I just want to tell you that God's not angry with you. Your, Your poster is not in the most wanted on the wall of the post office of heaven. You know, God's, God's not ticked off. He's not, he's not chasing you down with, with a gun ready to shoot you when you blow it. God's love and mercy is so great. 2,000 years ago, he paid the penalty for every sin you have committed and every sin you will ever commit. And the beauty of coming to Christ and the born-again experience and salvation is the recognition that I have peace with God. Jesus already bought that for me. He became my peace. He is my Jehovah Shalom. But you know what? It doesn't stop there. Too often, what I call nominal Christians will get that far. They'll buy their ticket on the train ride to heaven. They, they basically stamp that because they've confessed Jesus as Savior and Lord. 
and, and live far beneath the privilege to which Jesus died for them to live in because they know peace with God. They go, no, God's not mad at them or angry with them, but they've never experienced the real fullness of shalom, the peace of God. And there's a difference. They're not the same. Peace with God is knowing that I'm accepted, that he loves me, that he's not angry with me, but the peace of God is the undergirding strength, the blessing, the favor. Hear this. Philippians chapter 4, Paul is writing from the Philippian jail. Or he's writing, I'm sorry, between two praetorian guard writing to Philippi. And he says this. He says in Philippians chapter 4 verse 6, Don't be anxious for anything. But everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall guard your hearts through Jesus Christ our Lord. The peace of God. Coming to Christ, saying, save me, Jesus, be Lord of my life, gives me peace with God. But folk, there's so much more that you can have in experiencing this shalom, this wholeness. Peace with God is when he takes away the conflict. Peace of God is when he pours out his blessings in so many areas of our lives. This morning, I want to challenge you. Wherever you are, whatever you're facing, the hard place you're in, your Bethlehem manger story, whatever you're trying to birth, a better marriage, a relationship, a business, raising children, all of these things that we all face today, staying healthy in the middle of a pandemic, asking God, how can I speak to the, 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 the challenges of some of my brothers and sisters that are of a different ethnicity than I am, dealing with racism, dealing with injustice, keeping ahead of, of reasonableness in the middle of the ridiculous politics we're experiencing these days. God, let, let moderation and reasonableness be our calling card. That's our prophetic edge as the people of God, to be peacemakers. You can experience peace with him as you call upon him. But you know something? You can go way, way deeper into that and know the peace of God this morning. Bow your hearts with me. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for this opportunity to pray this morning and everyone who is listening, Lord, to this podcast, to this uh, live stream, Father, that we're bringing to them. And Lord, we just ask you today that you would penetrate our hearts with the awareness of your good news, good news that brings peace, peace and salvation, your government, your lordship in our lives, and the peace that it produces. If that's you this morning and you, you need Jesus to move in a powerful way in your life, just pray these words with me right here. Just say this, Father, I thank you for this word today. I give you my heart and I say, Jesus, save me. I trust you. I turn from my past and I turn to you in faith, O oh Lord. Forgive my sins. Be Lord of my life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Let the blessings of peace and shalom be in my life, I pray. In Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, amen. We love you. Merry Christmas. Have a blessed week.